Well, I have a question for you. What do Donald Trump and uh, Joe Hawks have in common? Oh. <laughs> they Go both on. love, love, love to campaign, and they're both very effective at it. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Quite a sight with the NRA here in Indy, bringing the president and vice president on the same day. Obviously, a lot of talk about gun policy, but also a look ahead to the 2020 campaign. Our Russ McQuaid was there. Vice President Mike Pence led the way, returning to Indiana with the NRA five years after he convinced the gun rights group to come back two more times in a decade to hold its annual meeting. Under this president and this vice president, no one is taking your guns. Under this president and this administration, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pence's speech was as much about the Second Amendment as it was endorsing his boss's expected re-election campaign next year. And then the president took the stage. I promise to defend the Second Amendment rights of every American, and I always will. I'll never let you down. Because as the famous saying goes, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. The same people who want to restrict the right to keep and bear arms of law-abiding citizens believe the Boston Marathon bomber should be given the right to vote on death row. I got news for you, Bernie. Not on our watch. When Bernie Sanders made certain statements the other day, I said, well, that's the end of his campaign. Then what happened is everybody agreed with him, or most of them. I heard the other day that another vice president actually said that we're in a battle for the soul of our nation. And for once, I agree with him, but not for the reason he thinks. We are in a battle. We're in a battle for the soul of America, but it's a battle between liberty and tyranny. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you, thank you. Meantime, this past week, President Trump going after some of his 2020 rivals, including the latest candidate to enter the race, former Vice President Joe Biden, officially announcing his run for president, instantly becoming one of the frontrunners as he joins a crowded field of some 20 Democratic candidates. Among them, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who announced he'll hold a town hall with Fox News next month. At a town hall in New Hampshire this past week, he was asked about the firing of city, his city's former police chief, an African-American. According to a recent lawsuit, four officers made racial slurs on tape about their police chief, Daryl Boykins, who claims Buttigieg forced him to resign. The Indiana GOP calling for the mayor to release those tapes. This week, a judge ruled the case could proceed to a trial. Buttigieg has surged in the polls lately in one recent poll neck and neck with Joe Biden for second place behind Bernie Sanders. Meantime, at the State House, the legislative session is now complete with a new state budget and legalized sports betting on the final night of the session. Our Haley Bull has more.
Five days early, both the House and Senate wrapped up after passing the state's budget. It was the big item on the session's last day, with Speaker Brian Bosma wanting to tackle it last. Republicans are praising it, saying it addresses DCS, the state's reserves, and gives nearly $760 million in spending to schools. Democrats criticize money not set aside for teacher raises. They brought that up in both chambers during debate. We've given a substantial increase in funding, uh, in fact, a record increase, $760 million uh, to local schools uh, to, uh, to implement these increases. We felt like the budget, frankly, was a um, missed opportunity, but who's your family's first? I look at this uh, session, just more of a global uh, view of this uh, leader, in terms of coming into this because quite frankly you don't get much guidance or vision coming from the governor's office as to where indiana should be headed we have proven this session um, that we have listened to our constituents we have set responsible goals and we have built consensus over the last four months the other big debate we heard was on a gaming bill now sent to the governor's desk it legalizes sports betting in indiana that includes mobile betting, moving a casino in Gary further inland, a new casino in Terre Haute, and impacts taxes on the industry. Lawmakers debated less on party lines and more so on the region and the impact the bill has on it. Some say this hurts them and encouraged the House to take more time on this, while others said this was a benefit. Take a listen. And one of the best ways to do it is to create our own legal framework around sports betting. We're going to build this on the backs of the poorest people in our state when we're giving millions and millions of dollars to riverboats and, and gaming casinos. Are we really going to do that? Also on the last day of session, a bill making hemp a regulated crop in Indiana moved on to the governor's desk and a bill that would have taxed the liquid and electronic cigarettes failed to make it out of the state house. We, of course, have much more information online. Reporting at the state house, Haley Bull. Okay, Haley, thank you so much. Meantime, the ACLU filing a lawsuit against the state of Indiana over a controversial abortion bill that Governor Holcomb just signed into law. It bans a procedure used in 95% of second trimester abortions. The ACLU says the bill is unconstitutional and leaves Indiana women with little to no options for a safe alternative. This is outrageous. It's outrageous that the state of Indiana is telling women that uh, not only can you not use this procedure, but by the way, if you want to use it, you can use another procedure that, it, that could be potentially extremely dangerous for you. The bill sponsor, State Senator Liz Brown, says the procedure is a barbaric practice for babies. The law goes into effect July 1st. The ACLU says they will be filing a preliminary order in the next few days to prevent that from happening. All right, up next, with the May primary nine days away, there's more controversy in Carmel. The mayor pushing back on new accusations from the city's clerk treasurer. Also ahead, we'll have the latest on the race for mayor in Indianapolis with new fundraising figures and some questions about one of the candidates and his working relationship with the city county council. Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. 2016 Vice Chair of the Indiana Trump Campaign, Tony Samuel, former state lawmaker Christina Hale, conservative blogger and radio host Abdul Kim Shabazz, and former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock. Let's start with the president here in Indy Friday, taking aim at his 2020 rivals as former Vice President Joe Biden jumps into this very crowded race. The president also went after Bernie Sanders a little bit in that speech Friday and certainly has tweeted about Biden as well here in recent days. 
Yeah, another great visit by the president and the vice president back uh, home in Indiana, where they like to be. Uh, president Trump's made a lot of trips here. Yeah, uh, it's great for him to talk about these uh, other candidates that are jumping in now, 20, I believe, with Biden jumping in the race. Um, they're just going to beat up on each other. You're already seeing it with uh, Joe Biden and also now Buttigieg, who had uh, risen uh, a little bit. Now he's getting hit for his issues back in South Bend with the the uh, firing of the police chief there. So the president also uh, getting the nicknames going here uh, in recent days as well, calling uh, Joe Biden Sleepy Joe. We remember that nickname. He used it on Joe Donnelly. We do. He does seem to recycle the same old tired kind of nicknames. He loves I don't think he's met a nickname he doesn't like, but um, I'm actually kind of excited about all of the candidates, the Democratic candidates standing for election, the presidential race. I mean, it worked for the Republicans last time. And to see 16 two there. stages yep. full of people um, at debates talking about the ideas that will move this country forward, it's, it's really a great thing. The president also said in an interview this week, Abdul, that he was, quote, rooting for Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, and here in Indy, uh, attacked uh, Bernie Sanders for saying felons should be able to vote in prison, something uh, Buttigieg said he did not support. In well, first of all, I'm happy to be sitting to, well, I think, maybe one of two Democrats not running for president right now. <laughs> so it's always good to, at least to not be yet. Yeah, at least yeah, not yeah, yet. Right, right. Let me go with my two colleagues here. Uh, no, it's, it's interesting. And Bernie Sanders kind of surprised me with the whole thing about felons being able to vote while in prison. I mean, once you served your time, Sure, for a lot of people that makes sense, but people, you know, like the you know the Boston Marathon bomber. I don't know how that really resonates you know, with that general electorate that you're going to win. If, if I were the Trump people, uh, the two people I'd be worried most about are your Pete Buttigieg's because his rise has been slow but steady of media and slow but steady, and Joe Biden, who obviously has the, the name recognition, the Kamala Harris's and Cory Booker's and the Elizabeth 23 Me and Me Warrens. I don't worry about those guys, but if I was, I'd, I'd be worried about Buttigieg and I'd be worried about Biden. What about the dynamics in your party? Are you worried about some of these issues? that seem to you know cause some distractions I, I I know it's a shock I agree with Christina but um, <laughs> having a full couple of stages where the limelight will be on Democrats talking about our ideas about how we want to move the country forward um, about how we want to protect uh, pre-existing conditions our plans for uh, a, an array of issues that um, Hoosiers and the nation are facing is good for Democrats because we have good ideas and we're going to have the stage to talk about them. I know, you know, it's typical in politics to see people beat up on one another, but I really don't think that that has uh, played out uh, like uh, Republicans hope that it will yet. Um, I think Joe Biden is definitely a contender. I think six out of nine uh, times that a vice president has uh, sought the nomination of his party since World War II, say for LBJ, he has seen that nomination. So he's a huge uh, player in this field. And Biden took the case uh, right to President Trump in his launch video. The president, by the way, in that speech here in Indy, alluding to uh, the Mueller report, referring to, quote, a coup, as he described it, taking place at the highest levels of Washington. We also saw a lot of protests around the NRA, one organization uh, even taking out a full-page ad pointing to different uh, controversies and scandals that the organization faces. More coverage of the president's visit here uh, to the NRA on our website. Uh, meantime, at the State House as well, lawmakers wrapping up this year's legislative session, finishing their work Wednesday night by passing a new two-year state budget and a pretty momentous bill legalizing sports wagering. Guys, your takeaway here on the session, obviously the issue of teacher pay has also been front and center. I know you worked on that gaming issue as well. A lot of things happening here in the final days. It was, it was a really big session. Um, the, the, the Republicans did add more money for, for education at the end. That hopefully will transfer 
to teachers uh, increase, getting increases in their pay. Uh, the gaming bill passed, so you'll have sports betting, but you have a modernization of gaming now, and you have 650 new jobs created in the Anderson and Shelbyville areas for those casinos now, getting live dealers being moved up a year to uh, January 1 of 2020. Christina, the Teachers Association, though, saying uh, this isn't enough, not what they were hoping for. Absolutely not. When you think about it, Hoosier Teachers Pay has grown at the slowest rate of any state in the nation, the very slowest. We're behind. So we passed something that might just keep up with inflation, but there's no guarantee that our teachers will see that in their pay packets. It's still a problem, and when you think about student achievement and our loss of teachers, we've been bleeding teachers, um, it's just not good enough, and our students deserve better as well. Your big takeaway from the session? Uh, a couple things. First of all, the loss of teachers is something that is nationwide issue and by the it's a it's nationwide issue number one number two the the onus is now on school districts where it should have been in the first place to raise teacher pay because of the school districts and it's the teachers unions that determine the teacher pay in these school districts for me the big takeaway that didn't get a lot of coverage was the fact that my republican friends actually signed on to a provision of the affordable care act with pre-existing conditions which they put in the budget bill so should the affordable care Act go away you cannot lose your health insurance because of pre-existing condition that is done by a republican legislature with a supermajority. that to me is one of the big stories out of this session. What will this session be remembered for? Of course, the hate crime debate, of course, made a lot of news earlier. Sure, this session. it was yeah. unfortunate that, that, we didn't, that we didn't see the fruition of that in a way that includes everyone. Um, I also think, you know, at the beginning of session, we heard from the governor on infant mortality rate and teacher pay. We heard from uh, legislative Republicans on that, uh, on both of those issues. And then by the end of session, we saw uh, barely anything for for teachers, something that barely keeps up with and I don't think does keep up with inflation. Uh, when it came to school funding, charters were given five times uh, the dollars that would have gone towards teacher pay. And then you saw um, a law that was passed bipartisan for to allow uh, Medicaid to be used for doulas, um, which would assist in um, relieving our terrible infant mortality rate here in Indiana, giving extra hands on deck in the delivery room. Um, and then at the very last minute, the funding that would actually yeah. fund that law was stripped from the budget. Okay. In the meantime, this uh, past week, State Senator Jim Merritt holding a press conference to mark the end of the session, says he will now be focused full time on the race for mayor, but in the fight for fundraising, he's still way behind Mayor Joe Hogsett, who finished the first quarter with nearly $4 million on hand. Merritt has a little over $200,000 so far. Leaders show up. Leaders do the hard work. Leaders get things done. Now that we have adjourned, it is time to have a serious discussion about the many other issues facing our city. Merritt does have a couple of Republican challengers on the ballot in the May primary. Also a bit of back and forth with some fellow Republicans on council, according to some reports in the Indy Star this past week. They called Merritt's focus on potholes tacky and distasteful. Meantime, Mayor Hogsett, as we said, raising money and hoping to win re-election in the fall. This campaign is about you. It's about the city of Indianapolis. It's about which direction we want this city to take. Do we want to keep it going in the same direction that we've had over the last four years? 
Mayor Hogsett there speaking at a recent event to open a new campaign office downtown. Also this week, a lot of controversy in Carmel. Nine days before the primary, the city's clerk treasurer, Christine Pauley, accusing Mayor Jim Brainerd of crossing the line in several emails. And also says after an event four years ago, she says the mayor grabbed her and tried to kiss her. Mayor Brainerd denying those allegations. Pauley acknowledged she wanted voters to know her story ahead of the primary. She's supporting the mayor's opponent, Fred Glenn. Abdul, a, a lot of headlines. Here in Carmel and also here in India. In, in and the curse races. of moderating, uh, I moderate a forum, uh, Candace forum between the Mayor Brainer and his uh, opponent, Fred Glenn, uh, just this past week. And all I, of this. Yeah, yeah. And I was at the announcement Joe Hawkshead did at his Westside campaign headquarters. So the nice thing of being in the middle of all this. Uh, on the Carmel mayor's race, I mean, there are serious issues uh, in Carmel right now. What are you going to do about debt and growth? What are you going to do about affordable housing? Because millennials can't afford to move in. Empty nesters can't afford. And a lot of the focus meantime is on yeah, this. And a lot of the focus on people who dated right. each other. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We'll talk more about it on our podcast. we got to leave it there. All right, with the NRA in town this weekend, we're taking a closer look at a bill just passed by state lawmakers dealing with guns in church, and specifically churches that also have schools on their property. We'll hear from people on both sides after the break. Well, lately we've seen it happen far too often. Worshippers killed in deadly attacks at churches, synagogues, and mosques around the world. So should anyone be allowed to bring a gun to church to protect themselves? What if that church also has a school or daycare on property? Today we take a closer look at the debate that just played out here in Indiana at the State House. As you walk into church, it's probably something you don't think much about. I actually know several people that, that are licensed concealed carry permit holders who have gone to worship at a church and had no idea they were committing a felony. It is, for now, a felony in Indiana to carry a gun into a church if that church also has a school or daycare on property. At the Statehouse, there's been an ongoing effort to change that. But like many debates over gun policy, it's complicated and, for some, controversial. There's no evidence to suggest that civilians carrying guns inside churches um, is a sound public safety practice. Ron DeVault disagrees. He's the operations director at a local church that also has a school. To me, it's, it, it's concerning because it just it makes any house of worship, be it a synagogue, a mosque, or a church that happens to have a school, just an incredibly soft target. And unless you have the financial resources to have armed police officers, you know, as your security uh, every time you meet, um, you know, it's just, it leaves you pretty, pretty vulnerable. The churches that are talking to me about it are, are anxious. They would like to have had it last year. State Senator Jack Sandlin is one of the lawmakers pushing for the change. I recently uh, had a meeting with a number of pastors. When I brought this subject up, I actually had a couple pastors looked at me and they were pretty startled and they said, you mean that's against the law? And I said, yes, it is currently. They didn't know that and they know that they have members in their congregation that are armed that, that are coming to church. And when you think about the personal ramifications of walking into a, a church service, not realizing that they had a school attached to it, and I've now committed a felony and all the things that would happen to you as a result of that. Very few people have ever made that connection because they don't associate this house of worship as a school property. We were there as the bill came up for a vote in the House. Does every church in the state that has a school, is it either going to have to 
close its eyes and let people come on with guns or affirmatively adopt a resolution to prohibit this? What we're doing is no longer treating lawful carriers as felons as now, under current law. Does my parish have to have a meeting and vote to prohibit guns and have that unpleasant debate, or doesn't it? I suggest you leave the churches alone and vote no on this bill. Suddenly somebody had to decide that this was some infringement on their rights. I think it's an infringement on the children's rights. It's an infringement on security and safety. So I think we've made a very bad choice. And now we've dumped the choice on churches that ought not to have to fight this. It's just another step in the direction of respecting a person's constitutionally protected right and enable them to defend themselves. And it really is that simple. We have laws against people carrying guns in schools for good reason. Rachel Guglielmo is with Moms Demand Action. Several times this year, she's been here at the State House pushing back on several proposals that would expand gun rights in the Hoosier State or pay for handgun training for Indiana teachers. She and her organization feel lawmakers have been too heavily influenced by groups like the NRA, whose members are in Indy right now for this year's annual NRA convention. How influential is a group like the NRA here in the halls of the State House? Well, look, uh, the NRA represents millions and millions of gun owners. You have to take a look at who is testifying in support of these bills and who's testifying against them. Against these bills, you have teachers, parents, moms testifying in favor of these bills. You have the gun lobby you have the National Rifle Association lobbyists. These issues often do get pretty politicized, don't they? Well, they're, they're a hot topic. I mean, there are people that don't want any guns, you know, really anywhere. Ron says for his church, it's about safety. There are people like the moms that demand action and others that just because it has the word gun in it, they're going to be opposed to it, right? I understand that. With what we've seen not only in the United States, but around the world and attacks on religious institutions, you know, administrators, pastors, congregations want to have the ability to protect themselves against those kinds of attacks. All right, we've got the exact language of that legislation on our website. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Tony. Uh, winners are Republicans' uh, leadership in both the House and Senate, particularly Majority Floor Leader in the Senate, Mark Messmer, for carrying a lot of the water this session. Loser knowledge-based economy. We took a pass on uh, supporting creative industry here with film production tax credits and media tax credits, really a loss for economic development. Senate uh, President Pro Tem Rod Bray, House Speaker Ron Bosma, they got $2 billion surplus, hundreds of millions for education, and they all got done five days early. There you go. You get the last Winners word. are the human, uh, health and human services uh, advocates at the State House who were able to uh, finally kill the predatory loan shark bill that was uh, brought up this session. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, a little more conversation here with Christina Hale, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Elise Schrock, as we talk about the end of the session and the, uh, the May primary, uh, like nine days away as of Sunday. We were talking a little bit about the mess in Carmel, but you've got mayoral races all over the city. You've got the Indianapolis mayoral race. We talked about some of the headlines there, some of the fundraising figures. What do you think? Yeah, and we've also seen all this controversy surrounding uh, Jim Merritt and um, his tactic to solely talk about potholes as a policy initiative for our city. Um, it was interesting in the live shot or, or the one shot that you guys uh, aired earlier, he's standing in the state house where for 
decades, he's had the chance to do something about our infrastructure and um, now is criticizing infrastructure. I mean, it just doesn't add up. I think people see through it. And I think even his colleagues are starting to see it as a tired method. Well, if you're one of the, like, you know, bajillions of people in this town who've had to have your cars, you know, worked on, i.e. my wife, because of the mayor's potholes, those are still an issue for you. Uh, as far as the legislature goes, Jim Barrett also supported, you know, the gas tax increase that provided hundreds of millions of dollars for Indiana communities to fix their roads, i.e. Indianapolis. And on the issue of uh, campaign fundraising, I remember about, oh, back in 2007, Greg where, Ballard a guy, where, was a guy, where a guy yeah. named Bart Peterson had $4 million in the bank and a guy named Greg Ballard had 50 grand. And so money, 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 it, it, it don't hurt, but also it's not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to walk away. Remember, Hillary outraised Donald Trump. Well, I have a question for you. What do Donald Trump and uh, Joe Hawks have in common? Oh. They <laughs> both on. love, love, love to campaign, and they're both very effective at it. And, you know, Mayor Joe has been running through the tape since he was first elected. He is a... Um, an energized, tireless campaigner, and he's been ever-present. You know, he's a guy that shows up and never stops, and I think that will really count in November, um, particularly because, you know, Senator Merritt has been a little bit hamstrung and that he hasn't been able to campaign. He has been in the state house, and so he's been trying to throw out his little um, uh, grenade uh, potholes out there, comments, um, but I don't know that when summertime comes, the roads get a little bit repaired, it's a little bit easier to get around, that's going to fade to the background and people are going to be thinking about bigger issues. And I, and I agree with you, people will be thinking about bigger issues. I think the bigger issue will be our crime and murder rate. I mean, we have, by mid-April, we had basically beat April's murder rate of the following year. We spent hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, I'm sorry, millions of dollars on crime prevention grant money through you know, the crime prevention and CICF. And what have all we had to show for it over the past four years, increasing homicide and increasing murder rates. So if things stay the way they are, Joe Hawks is probably going to wish he had a pothole problem because he's going to have to place put all the dead bodies that we're going to be seeing this summer. Now, crime always definitely uh, becomes an issue throughout the year, no doubt. Uh, could be an issue again on the campaign trail this year. Uh, what else are you looking for here in this mayoral race that could define the next few months uh, of this race? Yeah, well, I think... That's another good question for Senator Merritt. What other issues is he going to run on? I mean, I know crime comes up every single mayoral year, um, and he's got his potholes. I, I, I'm not sure where he's going to go from there. A difference that I'm seeing, too, and, and I think it's a fair comparison, you know, to look at the... Um, Greg Ballard and where he stood, I mean, and he certainly did surprise us all, Republicans and Democrats, and Senator Merritt, is that he has served eight terms, I believe, um, has that been eight terms? Yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. In the state Senate, people in this market know him. He's been around. Um, Very Greg, visible in the media. Yeah. Mayor yeah. Ballard had been a virtual unknown. You know, he even had a very small circle, I think, of personal supporters at the time um, when he began his surge. Um, to victory, but um, that I think is something that we need to take a look at. And maybe think through why is it somebody who's a marquee name who's been around serving all this time isn't getting that fundraising support, um, if not at all, not yet. There have been some uh, reports about the, the, the measures he's taken to try to directly ask uh, some, some local Republicans for, for fundraising. Out in public at a coffee meeting some have asking, been saying he wanted to hit half a million dollars, which he clearly didn't do. 
Um, so, so obviously that race it was actually fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand. That race obviously well, that was gets, his goal. His yeah. overall right. goal. He wanted, half, he wanted million, half a mil yeah. by this time, which he hasn't hit. That race gets settled in the fall. A lot of these local primaries uh, do often get settled in May in cities like Carmel, where the Democrats currently don't have a candidate running. Uh, all of this. Um, you see, but I think Democrats actually forth. may have a shot in a, in a weird way. And, and they could still field a candidate just because there's not one in a yeah, primary. Yeah, you can, yeah the, the state law allows you, you have until like, what, June 30th, I think, to actually put yes. a candidate on. You can just caucus in a candidate. And didn't have will they because oh, of all of this controversy? The, uh, wait, are you saying you and, think and, Democrats and, may have a shot and, in the Carmel and, mayor's and, race? And fielding and, a candidate. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Here's, you and heard here, it? Okay. Stunning, here, right? I know. It's yeah, a moment. Are you yeah. thinking moving to Carmel? No, no, I'm not. I live in Here's my logic and rationale. I've known both Jim and Fred forever. So the, the, the path is if, you get, if it's a low election turnout, uh, obviously those tend to favor challenges because usually people come out of elections and people are mad about something, not people want to maintain necessarily the, the, the status quo. You, you throw that into some of the places that Jim Brainerd has annexed over the last four years, you get those people ticked off and upset. You also throw in the fact that there is about a 25, 30% of contingent of people who just are anti-Brainerd, period, as we're seeing through all the machinations going on up there, and the fact that Hamilton County is changing. South of 32, we're seeing more and more blue spots start to start to pop up here. I mean, and Hillary Clinton won actually quite a few number of precincts in the 2016 election. So you think now, perhaps there's reason for Mayor Brainerd to be concerned in this primary and maybe even the Democrats considering perhaps. Yeah, this, now granted, this is also Luke Skywalker flying down the Death Star Canyon <laughs> you know, without Han Solo to come and save the day. This but, would be, right, pretty unprecedented. Yeah, but there is yeah. a, it's, it's narrow, but then again also too, none of us ever thought Donald Trump would be president. Right. My question for you is what's the GOTV program like up in Carmel? I mean, it seems like like Republicans have taken that for granted for so long. There hasn't been that challenge there on the ballot. So um, that might get really interesting in and, a close and that's race. The, and that's the other issue up there, too, is because the, the, the Hamilton County Republican Party, as it is today, is so divided and so split. You've got uh, with the current chairwoman, Laura Campbell, you know, having, to deal with, having to deal with issues within their own party. You've got uh, some folks you know, telling uh, developers, hey, if you give money to the county party, don't even think of setting up shop in my town asking for anything. There is a lot of division going on right now up in Hamilton County, almost to the point where if you're Governor Eric Holcomb, you're like, uh, maybe I ought to build my own organization. A lot there. has been made also uh, late in the week about the mayor's office and their response to some of these allegations, uh, emailing out pictures to the press of the, of the mayor and the treasurer out on what they say were dates and just the handling of it in 2019. I think one of them even, there was a, you know, a, a communications director that tried to send out a picture of a woman who had um, said she experienced sexual assault and tried to say that she shouldn't be wearing the, the dress she was wearing in a photo, um, which I think is abhorrent to shame anyone, any woman for what they wear um, and to treat allegations of sexual assault like this. We see, you know, we have we see it at every single level of government, and it's not acceptable at any level of government. And it's the kind of story that, um, you know, obviously Mayor Brainerd has been pretty confidently reelected. I'm guessing uh, they have no idea what this, how this will play, what dynamic this well, will Well, like I said, the, the, the challenge is, is because, like I said, the challenge for Jim Brainerd is because you have been mayor for so long. Since the 90s. Since, yeah, since the 90s, like you're running your sixth term. I mean, after a while, you know, at what point do people experience sort of a Brainerd burnout? Now, what Brainerd will tell you is look at you know, what they've done for Carmel, look at the redevelopment, you know, look at their quality of life, look at you know, some of the best places you know, in the state country to live that he can point to and say, if you like the progress that we've been doing, you know, 
continue it. And so that's why I say it's going to be that the 25 percent who love him, 25 percent who hate him, that other 50 percent in the middle, what, what do they do? Where do they go? be interesting to see how it all plays out. What else uh, from this past week um, do you take note of and say, well, that was interesting. State House nationally, locally. Um, State House, certainly. I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief. There was such an overemphasis, I think, on gaming. Um, nationally, it's been, you know, presidential politics kicking up once 2020. again. Everything's yeah, about 2020. This is going to be the yeah. longest, I think, most fatiguing season. And I talked to a lot of little kids out there in schools, and I've started asking them always, like, Raise your hand if you're sick of politics, and they all raise oh, their really? hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, even down, you know, our our young students are tuning in yeah. already, and um, I wonder at what point do we just tune out of the noise and vote? And um, I, I hope it doesn't create a lack. Of, I hope this voter engagement that we're starting to see continues, um, but I'm starting to think that. Um, People might just tune out and tune on their Netflix. <laughs> it was a big week at the state level, and it was a big, big week for the state on a national stage. The juxtaposition True. that I thought was really interesting was you have um, the president and vice president coming into the NRA convention and touting their, we have the strongest economy in the world, but at the same time you had Republican budget drafters saying, the revenue forecast isn't strong enough for us to give teachers the raise that they had hoped. It's not, at, at the last minute, um, there were a number of things, um, funding for foster care parents who take in children with uh, disabilities and developmental issues, um, the, the doula provisions, where they actually passed a bill to things allow for it, the and then they cut the funding last minute. So I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. There were some that, strong yeah. numbers out Friday. Well, it at least makes a great point, too, because Speaker Bosma himself predicted that the economy will take a downturn, downturn. and that's why yeah. we have to protect the nest egg, and, you know, to the tune of two billion dollars. question, so, I think, mm -hmm. politically is when will that happen? What I think, impact I think, does that have for 2020? If you, if you look at it, we've had about 170-something-odd months of consecutive growth, and usually we're at about, it's usually, if you think about it in our history, it's about the end of every decade, and the start yeah. of a new one is when things start to get a little, little dicey, a little shaky, and I would much rather have a $2 billion surplus in the bank now to deal with hard times that are coming later than have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to have to cut? down the road. Uh, I think the, the big national story that did not get a whole lot of attention that should is the fact it looks like William Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts, is going to challenge yeah. Donald Trump in the primary. In yeah. primary challenge. Now, does that get any traction, though? But, the, but see, but here's the thing, though. In the modern history, every time a president, a sitting president, has had a primary challenge, they end up losing the general election, whether it was Jimmy Carter in 1980, it was George Herbert Walker Bush in 1992, and even to a certain degree, Al Gore. When he got a challenge from Ben, from uh, former Senator Bradley, Ben Bradley, yeah. you know, every time they, every time that means it tells you that there's some wing of the party that is not happy, usually that does not bode well for that sitting president. Well, that's true. And I want to correct something as well. Democrats support our AAA bond rating, and Democrats support a healthy surplus. Um, we're going to need that, but we also recognize economic theory and that we do have some generational issues, whether it's our water infrastructure, our roads infrastructure, our infant and maternal mortality issues, addiction and the impact on the economy. You know, a lot of things that Elise has brought up as well. Um, these are generational, and they take generational investment. Like, how about our declining rates of um, students passing the SAT, creating, um, achieving these educational credentials that we know they're going to need to be employable in the future. That's just not one-term spending. So um, 
making sure that we're not penny-wise pound-foolish is what we're saying here. And I think you heard uh, uh, State Senator Karen Tallian, the uh, one woman who was of the four uh, caucuses, um, helping to uh, see the budget along through the process, said taxpayers pay taxes and they expect to see something. They understand, you know, like, like Christina referred to, the economic theory of having some reserves, but they do expect something in return for what they're giving back to the government to take care of our society. Well, I'd much rather have, but y'all, but Grandma always said, save for a rainy day. <laughs> and, and, and we need to, and we need to. That's, All right. that's point taken, yes. We'll leave it there. Christina Hale, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Elise Schrock, and Tony Samuel, who had to depart before the podcast uh, segment. Thank you all so much for being here. You want here. to beat that NRA traffic down. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We'll Thank see you. you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.